Welcome to Hoops Royalty. I'm King Jemison, alongside, as always, my man in Cleveland, Carnavankatraj. But also today, alongside another special guest, Akshad Jain. AJ, as we call him, is a fellow graduate journalism student at Northwestern. Yet another Celtics fan. Karna, I don't know how we find ourselves constantly <laughs> surrounded by Celtics people now, but we need some good vibes in our life, and at least they have them. And AJ is also yet another NBA expert, had some great basketball conversations with him. So AJ, it's awesome to have you on the show today. Before we get into what we're going to talk about, Memphis Grizzlies, wider NBA, etc., you know everybody's here for the Royal Hoops takes. I want you to tell us a little bit about your path to Northwestern, as I'd say you have one of the most interesting backgrounds I've heard of anyone at the program. Sure. Well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me on. I've been listening to your podcast diligently, and I know Robbie was on last week. So the Boston media mafia has been rolling its head over here. And, uh, <laughs> there'll be more of us coming soon. Just don't transition to a Celtics podcast. Uh, well, so a little bit about me was I started out in finance uh, in terms of I did my undergrad in business and economics. And then I went to Vanderbilt for my graduate school and I did finance over there. And for the past three years, I've been working in investment banking. Um, and eventually I decided, you know what, I sort of like sports a little bit more than uh, dealing with investment grade debt um, and, and decided to take a leap of faith, uh, not gambling, it's not a sponsored show, uh, leap of faith and uh, and decided to come uh, learn about journalism and try and cover sports for a living after this. Been enjoying it so far. It's been a couple months and uh, excited to learn more and see what it will take me. Yeah, and if the column you had about Manchester United is any indication, you are a rising star in the sports industry because that was hot takes, but very well supported hot takes. No argument could be made against them, honestly. Um, Karna, we, this is not like what we plan to talk about, but you kind of have some similarities as well in, in your own background transitioning from finance to sports. Yeah, uh, I started out in investment banking as well. Um, that's I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I started out <laughs> in investment banking as well. Uh, did did a couple years there and then did two years as uh, Teach for America where I met King. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, transitioned into the business side of sports using you know, my finance degree to get hot dogs in the right places at the right times um, is part of my job. So it's pretty important. It is, especially if you're working for a baseball team. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, similar background, love sports growing up and wanted to make it a career. So that's that's why I'm here. And Karna, today is a really big day for you because today is – the first battle of the Dylan Brooks-led Houston Rockets versus the Memphis Grizzlies. And this is a house-divided battle for, for Karna. I mean, he's really been bearing this past that he has because he's embarrassed by the Rockets organization. But now you have some things to be proud of. Your ex-lover, the Rockets, are back into potential playoff uh, standings. So they're they're going to fall off, but we'll get to that later in the episode. But how are you feeling ahead of this this house divided battle between your ex lover and your new boo, the Memphis Grizzlies? Hey man, I love sports as much as the next guy. I would not describe uh, my relationship with the Rockets as one of of a lover. But um, <laughs> all that's to say is I'm excited for today. You know, I really, you know, 
I adopted Memphis and and the Grizzlies as kind of my de facto hometown. I love the the I love Memphis and I love the Grizzlies. What I will say is I think this will tell us a lot about where the Grizzlies mentality is, right? I I, I really want to see a really competitive game from both sides, obviously. I mean, more one sided than not, right? You have kind of a villain character who really hurt you in the playoffs, who is now, and we'll get to this, but been speaking and saying some outlandish stuff. Surprise. Everyone stopped the press as Dylan Brooks said something outlandish. Um, but it, I want to see the leadership of the Memphis Grizzlies respond in, in kind and on the court, which is more of Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. style. So that's what I'm looking for today. I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a competitive game, some content to be made later on. I was telling y'all just, just some drama would be nice. You know, I think, I feel like the Grizzlies season has been very much drama on the injury report and nowhere else. Uh, I'm, a lot I'm of looking, drama there. Yeah. I'm looking for drama little, on the yeah, injury report. Yeah. I'm looking for a little drama, a little storyline that we can kind of build on a little fire that we can build on. Yeah. That, that's a good segue. Let's before we get into our three big topics today, let's start with the news of the last couple days in the Grizzlies universe. And that is Dylan Brooks had something to say. And as Karna alluded to, this is not new, but it's different when you see it directed at your team. Um, first of all, the fact that he's doing this is the exact reason why the Grizzlies did not bring him back. And so um, if nothing else Grizzlies fans, the Grizzlies front office can take solace in Dylan still being Dylan. He hasn't actually grown at all. And he would not make this current situation better besides just being a healthy, available player. But to get into the specifics of what he said, he uh, said the Grizzlies have no swagger this season. Um, And I guess he attributes that to himself, um, not the fact that their best player and player with the most swagger is suspended for 25 games, but no matter. And then he compared himself to an ex-girlfriend that, you know, you don't know how good she is until she's gone. A very weird way to frame his time in Memphis. But AJ, as a neutral observer, just what did that make you think? Personally, I like it. I, 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 like, I like that he's creating the spark. And, and I think he's doing it to inspire his team, to, to get them ready for the game. You know, the Rockets are on a three-game skid right now. I know we'll dive into them a little bit later, but their head coach, Ime, he, he, he's someone who he, he runs he runs a tight ship. He, he himself publicly calls out players, his own players, and, and, um, and he challenges them to play better, play with more energy, and, and leave it out there all on the floor. And I think Ime will love what Brooks is doing. And then he's, he's probably... Internally, he's happy. He's smiling about this. He's he's one of his star additions over the summer is out here, and he's rallying the team up, and he's sort of challenging them. So I love it. I love it. And also, that's that's who he is, right? Um, you guys have experienced him and his antics over the years. Um, it's different now that he's on the other side of the fence, but as a neutral observer, love it. Raises the stakes of the game even more and makes me want to tune in. Fair. Karna. What are your thoughts as a Rockets and Grizzlies fan when you see what Dylan Brooks is out here saying after, by the way, his comments in the playoff loss to the Lakers last season was basically what got this show going? I think it's a different team. You have, you you are, Dylan Brooks is a veteran on that Rockets team in a lot of ways, along with Fred Van Vliet, but you have a core of young players 
that in the past has struggled to stay engaged, whether it's Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., or even Alperin Sangoon, if you watch the Rockets, sometimes they have a trouble engaging for long periods of time. And Jalen Green specifically has had this problem this season. I think Dylan Brooks is doing what AJ is, is talking about and is creating a storyline to fire his team up. That is a lot different than doing the same thing against the Lakers in series one of a playoff of what should be a playoff run. So it's a completely different scenario. It's a different team. It's a different part of the season. You shouldn't have to do that. You have competitive guys on the Grizzlies. You're the fourth or fifth best player on that team. Um, and you're going into a playoff against a generational talent. You didn't need to say all that. This, I think it's more understandable. You have guys that struggle to get engaged. So you need to absolutely play an important role um, in firing your team up. Yeah, and what I'm hoping happens is that it fires the Grizzlies up. And it was interesting to note they didn't really say anything in response. Uh, Taylor Jenkins said, interesting comment. I'm happily married with for 10 years with four kids. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, referenced Swagger when talking about Vince Williams Jr. And so maybe that was a subtle shot, but they did not put something out there for the presses to create this narrative. Um, what I'm hoping is that this is going to galvanize them. And, you know, after two days off, you know, and the last game was a last second loss in one of the best games you played all season, they shouldn't have needed any motivation, but if they did, this is just one additional piece. Um, but guys, I think that's a good time to get into our three big topics for the day. Um, and those are going to be, our Royal Decree, News of the Realm, and Royal Court. But our biggest section is definitely going to be the Royal Decrees because we got some takeaways from Sunday's dramatic Celtics win over the Grizzlies, 102-100. As I just said, one of the best games the Grizzlies have played, and it just shows how this season is going, that that was in a loss. Um, and Santi Aldama could have capped off his career performance. By far the best game he's ever played. With just one more shot going in, then we'd be talking about the fourth win of the Grizzlies season. But instead, his buzzer beater or near buzzer beater clanked off the rim. Zaire Williams tracks down the rebound, but with basically nothing he can do about it. And Taylor Jenkins' timeout is not recognized. Um, AJ, let's start with you. Sure. What were your biggest takeaways from Sunday's game? I know we talked with Robbie about how he was not expecting it to be much of a game. Neither were Karna and I, but... What did you learn about the Celtics in this game? And if you want to add what you learned about the Grizzlies as well, that's great. Sure. Uh, so two key takeaways for the Celtics based on the game. And and this has sort of reared its head over the course of their road trip. You know, the, the, they've been on the road for the last three games. And they barely beat the Raptors. They needed a last-minute shot from Derek White to beat them by three points. They barely – I thought all the Santi was going to score. Uh, I was – fully prepared for it to be a buzzer beater based on the way the fourth quarter had gone and the way he was shooting lights out. Um, and then they eventually did lose to the Hornets on Monday night. And so this is the, the, the issue with this, this Celtics team is they sort of play down to their competition. Um, it's because I think they're too comfortable as a team right now. They think they are at a level that they can play like the 27, the KD Warriors, um, and they sort of have take, started taking teams for granted. Um, they don't come up with an intensity, and even when they do, they sort of let it slip away during the game, let the opposition come with, make a comeback, 
and then try and step it up again in the fourth quarter. So you've seen Joe Mazzula um, actually taking a page out of Ime's book and has been publicly calling out his team the last couple after the last couple of games. He has said in the media how they're not playing with energy, they're not playing with intensity, they're sort of taking their foot off the pedal. Um, while also, you know, giving props to the Grizzlies, he said the he thought that the Grizzlies players were more motivated. They came out with their high intensity and the Celtics kind of didn't really match it uh, till the waning stages of the game. But as we'll see how the, this team responds to that now. Um, they seem to like they seem to like it during when, when Ime used to do. Um, they always responded positively. So I'm hoping it kind of has the same effect on them uh, starting tonight against the Bucks. But the second piece, which is more important to me is how Jalen Brown's role in this offense is yet to be figured out. And I think that's causing concerns, not just for him, but for the team. Now, you'd think that's a bit rich coming from a team who has the best net rating in the NBA, but Brown has found it tough to go. He's averaging 23 points a game, but his shooting splits are not that good. And he's having to force up shots. Well, look, you know, when he played with Marcus Smart, guy on your team now, um, funny enough, but he had this connection with him where he could, you know, he was used like Clay Thompson in a way. He would come off cards, he would come off screens and get to his shots, easy layups. He's yet to develop that chemistry with Drew. Drew has fit in better, his game's fitting in better with Porzingis, Tatum, even Sam Howe. And unless that sort of happens, I think the full potential of this offense will not be unlocked. Yeah, and it's no more clear picture of the Celtics' problem in beating bad teams and playing down to the level of their opponent, um, or not beating bad teams, I should say, than the next night out after that Grizzlies loss, they lose in overtime to the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, That's a tough look. And to AJ's point, you know, Jalen Brown only scores 13 points in that loss. And plays 34 minutes. Yeah, and took a contested three late in overtime mm-hmm. in which he had Kristaps Porzingis wide open under the basket. Yeah. Um, I loved Bill Simmons' tweet saying that you would think Kristaps was photoshopped into this tweet because there's no way that an experienced NBA wing would not find his team's, in my opinion, second-best offensive player um, for an easy layup. Um, late in overtime like that. Well, to to that point, he struggled in the game against the Grizzlies. And, you know, you can attribute that to, again, him not finding his rhythm on offense. But watching the game, I think the Grizzlies did a pretty good job defensively, um, not just on him, but throughout the game. You know, they had a few blocks. Uh, Porzingis had six blocks in that game. But on the other hand, the Grizzlies were also coming up with big plays defensively. They, they didn't allow Celtics to have any easy looks. Um which, which I think translated to them sort of struggling to find their rhythm um, throughout that game. So I, I was kind of impressed with the defensive intensity. Now, I've watched every, I've not watched every single Grizzlies game to know if this is how they operate. If, but if this is the level of intensity they can bring to every game, I think they'll be in good shape. Yeah, Karna, I'm going to skip you in line real quick because that's a fantastic transition to my one and only takeaway from this game is that that was the best defense the Grizzlies have played all season. And the second best defense they played was in another close loss to the Nuggets. So the best two teams they played have been their best defensive performances. 
but because of their own structural offensive problems and the fact that they're going up against, you know, some of the best in the NBA, they still lost those games. But they need to bring that same level of defensive intensity to tonight's game, to all of these winnable games that they've dropped, two to Utah, one to Portland. I could go on and on and on about the games in which they're out of the spotlight and they're not playing that level of defense, particularly on the perimeter. We know the Grizzlies have the worst three-point defense in the NBA. They made a very concerted effort to run Boston off the line and played their best perimeter defense of the season. Held Boston to 12 three-point makes on 31 attempts, both way down from their season averages. And yes, there were a few wide-open looks, particularly for Sam Hauser. And I'm like, how do you give him wide-open looks? That's all he does. But the point remains they played with more effort defensively. And I don't question the heart of this team um, because I know what Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. bring from that regard. And of course, Marcus Smart as well, though he's now injured. But I do question the night-to-night level of intensity on the defensive end because this is a team that should be good defensively. They have the pieces to be a top 10 defense in the NBA, and they have not been that this season. Some of it is injuries and a lack of size. But another piece of it is I don't think their effort on the perimeter nor their defensive schemes have been up to snuff. Hopefully, the Celtics game is a building block to where the Grizzlies can get back to being one of the best defenses. There was a clear trade-off made in that game that I actually don't know if is sustainable throughout the whole season, but the trade-off was a staunch perimeter defense for better looks, points in the paint. Right now, the Boston Celtics are 26th in the league in points in the paint. They outperformed by almost two or like one or two standard deviations with their points in the paint that game. The question I have for the coaching staff is are you going to make that dynamic or is that your defensive philosophy going forward? Right? We know the Celtics jack up more three pointers than most teams in the NBA. The question is, are they going to make that adjustment for every team, right? Since that is our new kind of overarching NBA philosophy. And will that work in other settings? That will be another question that I have for tonight, right? There are some good shooters on the other side of the ball, not Dylan Brooks, but um, there are some other good shooters on the other side of the ball, but there's also some great paint players. Is Alperin Sangoon just going to get whatever he wants on the other side of the ball? So that's, that's another thing to just track. I, I know we're kind of jumping ahead to uh, Memphis Rockets, but the defensive philosophy that we use against the Celtics, I fear against a much more experienced post player, right? I would say a, a, a guy who makes his living on the block in Alperin Sangoon, is he going to drop like 30 tonight? Um, I think it'll be something that we kind of need to need to track. For the season, the Rockets are a, are a very average um, three-point shooting team right in the middle of the standings for makes attempts and percentage however I think some of that was buoyed by the way Dylan Brooks in particular was shooting early in the season and I expect that by the end of the season the Rockets will be near the bottom of the NBA in three-point percentage um, because you got guys who are going to jack it up like Fred Van Vliet and and Dylan in particular Um, and so that percentage if it stays as high as it is right now which is above 36 percent then you're seeing a lot of guys go well above their career Norm. But, but that's my point. Is is that is that trade off the same thing that you're going to run all season, or is that trade off the because that is a it, it, we talked up and down at the beginning of the season, King, about 
how our perimeter defense, we were getting the we're getting run out of the gym by Lori Markinen pretty much single-handedly. Are we going to see that kind of performance tonight where we allow someone to get hot from three? Because, yeah, I mean, sure. Maybe the offensive philosophy of Ime Udoka isn't to jack up a ton of three-pointers, but I think they actually have a pretty balanced attack. And I, I wonder how, in a more balanced environment, the Grizzlies' defense will perform. Um, yeah. I think they did a really, really good job at stopping specific attack from the Celtics, which is a lot of three-point attempts, and we st- we stood up our perimeter defense. The question is, with a more balanced attack, when you have someone inside like Alperin Sengun who can drop 26 from that position, or and then you have shooters on the outside that can make three-pointers, even if they're middling right now, what are we going to do when there's that inside-outside that's more established rather than Christoph Porzingis, who is a good post player, but really makes his living shooting above his head from the three point line, at least, at least from what we saw, that's what the Celtics perspective is. Um, so something to just think about and, and uh, keep in mind as we watch tonight's game. Yeah. And I think there doesn't have to be such a stark trade off defensively. You can bring that level of effort, even if the scheme's a little bit different. And there were problems of both effort and scheme. You do see that the Grizzlies have not closed out hard on shooters at times this season. Um, And that when they've helped so far into the paint, a schematic problem, they're not making up for that with effort to get out to the line. I think both things need to change over the course of the season, even against a not-so-good three-point shooting team. You can't give NBA shooters open looks. It's not a recipe for success in any type of defense. but. Um, even if you are going to pack the paint a little bit more against a team that wants to slash, get to the basket like the Rockets, then you're still going to have to bring the level of effort they had against the Celtics. And off of two nights rest, the Grizzlies should be able to do that. But guys, unless y'all have anything else to say about uh, a heartbreaking loss for the Grizzlies, a good clutch win for the Celtics, um, but something in which both teams can take away positives. Y'all ready to transition to the next segment? Sweet. So in this next segment... It is time to get into a little rookie roundup, something we haven't talked about much at all so far this season, Karna, um, how the rookies are performing because the Grizzlies' only rookie is in the G League at the moment and kind of balling out, actually. We'll we'll get there in a second. But in this News of the Realm segment, I want to talk about who has been the top rookie on the season so far because this year is shaping up to be the best rookie of the year debate we've had in a long time. So. Karna, I'll start with you. Who is the top rookie in your mind? So, like like all things, the I will say the rookie of the year, I think people expected Wemby to kind of run away with it. That has not been the case so far. And I think the top performing rick, rookie, maybe not from a holistic statistical perspective, but doing big things in big moments has been Chet Holmgren. Um, whether it's dusting the Warriors for 24 earlier in the season, then re-dusting them for 36 later in the season and hitting big shots and big moments. I think he's proven that, you know, he has a interesting game and that we got caught up in the Victor Wembanyama hype and, and we love seeing him on the basketball court. But there's another guy in OKC who fits into a great system and can do a whole number of things. Is incredibly versatile on the court. And in fact, Chet Holmgren in portability, which is a statistic that basically 
summarizes how a player might do if you drop them in an, a whole other system is in 98th percentile. Meaning he's not just a system guy, even though he's in a good system with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and other young, exciting talents, he's also a guy that can create for himself and has the scoring chops to become an elite scorer in the NBA. Um, and I think I think Chet right now has proven it in big moments, and I think voters will value that, and that's why he's my favorite right now for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I will just jump in and say I completely agree. If it was voted on right now, it should absolutely be Chet. And this may end up being more of, it's going to be an interesting debate, sort of like a Heisman race, like where Lamar Jackson won it, where he put up fantastic stats on on a mediocre team. I mean, I think they went nine and three in the ACC. Nothing nothing to write home about. Um, may happen this year as well with uh, Jaden Daniels of LSU. But yeah, if Victor Wimignana wins, he's going to have to make one of those type of arguments where his individual greatness is so impressive that it outweighs team success. On the flip side, the Thunder are balling out as a team. They're 10 and four. Chet Holmgren is a huge part of it. He is the most NBA ready rookie. Not only is he ready to be a focal point of an offense, but he just fits in seamlessly as an efficient role player as well. Yeah. The last point is among rookies playing 20 minutes or more, the top two guys in net rating are on the Thunder, Chet Holmgren and Cason Wallace. So whatever it is about the Thunder system, they're making it extremely easy for their young guys to be integrated seamlessly. And it's a scary thing for the rest of the league. I, I That's what I was just about to say. As a Grizzlies fan, this is so annoying. This is so bad. Like, this is, it's just, it's just annoying to see another power emerging in the West. One thing, one last thing for uh, in Chet's kind of on, on behalf of Chet, in almost every advanced match, offensive advanced metric, shoot, true shotting, per, true shot percentage, shot quality, um, like three point rating, load creation, portability, Chet Holmgren has a sizable lead on Victor Wembanyama. So I think Victor has been good from a counting stats perspective, but as far as the efficiency when both players are on the floor. Chet Holmgren has not only done it in big moments and has those Instagrammable and TikTokable kind of moments, which do matter to the NBA and more than any other sport, but he also has been doing it more efficiently. So those are two kind of big things that stand out that make me believe that Chet right now is, is, is rookie of the year material. AJ, do you agree or are you going to make a case for Wimby? Well, I will agree to the extent that as of now, Chet is running away with the Rookie of the Year. But, we, you know, we, we are a little over 15% of the season in. Um, and for Wemby's case, what I would say is you have to take a look at the situations that both these players are put in, right? Chet essentially is in a situation that he's already on a good team. They were, semi, they were contending for the playoffs, the all-NBA guy. So he was brought in there to not raise the floor, but raise the ceiling of this team. And if, if you look at Wemby's situation, you know, he's on a team that had one of the worst records in the league last year. They do not really have any building blocks outside of him. You could say that, sure, they have like Vassell and Kel- Kel- Johnson, but outside of that, he is being tasked to do everything on both ends of the floor, not just defensively, but also offensively. And his usage rate has spiked as the season's gone because the organization knows that 
if they have to get better, they would need Wemby to get better. And he has he has shown flashes. Uh, now, listen, it's his first time playing in uh, in the NBA. Chet has been around the team for over a year, so he he knows the travel. He he kind of knows the system a little bit better. And Wemby's still trying to figure it out. But he has shown flashes, especially in the game uh, against the Phoenix Suns when the Spurs mounted a late fourth-quarter comeback and they came and they ended up beating the Suns uh, in, in Durant's backyard in Phoenix. Uh, it was Wemby who was sort of their catalyst in that fourth-quarter comeback. So I think as the season progresses, we will see improvements in him. And like you said, you know, voters, they love a narrative. The Spurs are probably the worst team in the league right now. Um, but if they start showing some sort of improvement and their record gets a little closer to 500, then maybe the narrative shifts Wemby's way over Chet, who is, who's been a steady presence. But my thing is, if you flip these two situations, would their records be any different? Would we be now seeing Wemby? Mm-hmm as a rookie of the year because he's in a much more stable situation where he doesn't have to do much. But as of now, I agree with your take. Chet has been the best player. He's great defensively, which is also something I love about the rookies this year. I think Draymond alluded to this recently. This rookie class, they really hang their hat on defense. And as someone who loves defensive basketball, it's a big thumbs up from me. Yeah, I, I really like that take, AJ. I think I think the thought of of kind of what I was talking about, like portability. How do these two guys interact in different environments, right? If we if we level set, you know, we we put that we take Victor from San Antonio and fly him to OKC and drop him in that system. Does it look different? Does it does it feel different? Um, so I I really like that take. Right now, though, I, I think that Chet is a more complete basketball player, but I think it's from something that you said. He's been around the team for a year. I think that is definitely underrated. And I think one thing that we forget, too, um, a lot of European players in their first year, uh, Luca, notwithstanding, struggle to – the system is different. The style of basketball is different. The culture is different. The food is different. I think we forget that these guys are human beings. And sometimes, you know, it takes a little while to adjust. And I think Vector Wembonyama is adjusting to that. If you look at game splits from Dirk Nowitzki's first couple of years, he's it just doesn't look like the Dirk Nowitzki that we know and love from the 1998 and 1999 season. Yeah. So that's just something to comp to is, is guys need time to adjust. Victor's young. I, I love your point about portability. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future if they if the Spurs can build around him in a little bit more intentional way. And for the specific roles that they're in, Victor Wimignana is much better positioned to be the focal point, the true building block of a team than Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren was a fantastic pick for the Thunder because they already had that guy. And even if at the time they drafted Chet, they didn't know what SGA would become, they had an idea um, that, that he was going to be their true star and that they needed Chet to be a guy who could fit in alongside that um, provide that spacing is a big provide the rim protection and some secondary playmaking but women yana is capable of being a franchise player in a way that i don't even think chet is um, frankly women yana has been very good there's been moments where he looks out of place like when desmond bain put him on his butt with a killer crossover and exploded to the basket for a game ceiling layup um in 
Saturday's win over the the Spurs, but in far more moments, he looks like an impossible problem for NBA defenses to solve and an immovable object for NBA offenses to try to score on. So let me let me ask you a question, King. What skill does Victor Wembanyama possess, and maybe it hasn't even developed yet, that Chet Holmgren does that makes Victor Wembanyama more of a cornerstone outside of just the minutes that he plays? That's a good question. I mean, from what we're seeing him do, he's getting more creation opportunities. Okay. Um, and, you know, if they're very similar players in terms of skill set, and then you're talking about one is 7'4 and even more athletic, and the other one is what, 6'11 yeah. and, you know, more, foot, yeah. more of a low air player, Yeah. Um, then I just am betting on Wimbanyana's ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look at all their counting stats, it's a re- remarkable how similar they are, yeah. and Holmgren's shooting is just, at a much more advanced level right now. Some of that is the looks he's getting, um, but some of that is that he's a more NBA-ready player right now. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree with your take over there, King. Um, I think Chet will be a defensive mainstay for for the team for for like maybe the next decade. But offensively, Victor has a more advanced repertoire. And once they tap into it a little bit more – they can start running their offense through him, which I think they cannot with Chet. He has some limitations in terms of creating for him others, even though he could probably create for himself. My, the, if I was answering the question that I posed, it would be handles. I yeah. think Victor, and that's, that's kind of goes to the creation aspect that you were talking about and can create for himself. But I think the coordination and the athleticism that you mentioned distills itself in the handles his ability to handle the basketball go off the dribble that chet isn't um able to and i think those four inches actually matter when you're a rim protector as well so yeah that that that, in my opinion i agree the ceiling is higher for victor my question is are the spurs in a position where they're actually able to like draft and build around this guy um because i know we trust generally the spurs front office but in the last couple of draft classes, the Spurs have not put together kind of a solid young core that can score, that can do a whole no- number of different things. So that would be interesting. Now with v- Victor Wembanyama, I think it distills the path path forward. And I think when you have your guy, it's a lot easier than for a franchise than being like directionless, right? Where for I, I see this in the Rockets where you have a bunch of hodgepodge guys who can do a number of different things, but no clear guy, one person that's going to take the reins and be like, I'm the face of the franchise. And I think you see that with any good young core right now is you have a guy that's the face. John Morant, Shea Gildress Alexander, um, even Giannis when he was coming up. There's just no guy on the Rockets, but... We're not a Rockets podcast, but I agree with you. Victor Wembanyama is that guy that they can build around. Yeah, it, it, he's a freak, and there's no better word to describe him. I was watching Saturday's Celt or excuse me, Spurs Grizzlies game with family who don't usually watch the NBA, and my brother was like, well, "Who's the guy we're supposed to be watching for?" I'm like, "Look for the alien," and that, <laughs> that's that's Wembanyama. But guys, that's enough rookie talk for us. Um, we were going to highlight some other guys, Asar Thompson for one, who. As a six-six player, is averaging over ten rebounds a game and has a way deeper bag than I thought. But we got some hard outs here, scheduling wise. So let's get into our third segment, playing some contender and pretender. So guys, on today's royal court, 
we're going to be debating who's for real and then whose hot start is as really a mirage and they'll be fading back to the pack soon. So let's start in AJ's backyard of the East in a place where I know already we have plenty of disagreements. Who are we buying as the bigger contender and probably as the favorite in the East? Bucks or Celtics? I'm going to have AJ go. I want to see yeah. if the homerism is real. Yeah, it's it, well, it it will be to some extent. Now, now you know, I preface this by saying I have some skin in this game here because you know these Eastern Conference. But I would say the Celtics are the best team um, to and the, maybe the safest bet to come out of the Eastern Conference. And and I say this not just because of the way they have started out so far, but they have another level to go. You know, the, it's still early days for this team. The biggest change, aside from just the personnel, has been the comfort that Joe Mazzula has now as a coach. This is truly his team. Last year, he was still uh, cooking with someone else's ingredients, you know, and, and and now he's finally comfortable in his role. You and you see that in his interactions with media, with the way he's handling play calling. He, he seems he seems more at ease, and that sort of translates to the team. Um, whatever quotes you have gone from players so far has been how this team is finding its way on the court, but off the court they're gelling pretty well. And and the, the key players on the team they've had great playoff experience. They've played together for the last seven years, um, made the conference final five times, been to the final once. Um, and I think this is the year they finally break through and win the elusive chip. And I, you know, no disrespect to Milwaukee or Philadelphia. I think I, I just don't trust Embiid in big situations and big games. Uh, maybe Nick Nurse can do something different, but I think in the playoffs, Maxi will find it difficult to replicate his regular season success. And as for Milwaukee, their biggest challenge is not sort of figuring out defensively and replacing Drew, but it's I think their biggest downgrade this offseason was replacing their coach. Uh, coach Bud, he did catch a lot of flack from teams, but he's, he's one of the more innovative coaches out there, championship-winning coach not just because he had Giannis on his team, but he, he sort of got them to play together and, and built a defensive identity. And I personally don't think their new coach is anywhere close being good as Coach Bud was. And come playoff time, they'll face the same challenges that we, as Celtics fans, we saw last year when you know our coach was a little in over his head. So Eastern Conference, I'm buying the Celtics. And if you had to give me a team that scares me the most, I'll still go with Miami. Wow. And AJ, say it with your chest. How many games does Milwaukee win in a playoff series against Boston? They, I personally think it ends 4-1 to the Celtics. Um, it could go to 4-2 just because... The league has uh, some vested interest in, in in more games, more more uh, more ad revenue, but I don't see it going past six games in any scenario. I could go seven against Miami again, which I think it will. They are the biggest challenges to the Celtics in the East. It's not Milwaukee. It's not for the Philadelphia. It's Miami. Weird. All right. 
King, I'm sorry. We got to check in tomorrow about how AJ's <laughs> feeling about this. They play tonight. We got to check in tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 4-1 is crazy. Adam might not be playing today. He has a non-COVID illness, so he could be out. Um, so don't put too much stock in the in a, in a regular season game 16. But yeah, this this Milwaukee team. This is not the team of old. All right. He did say it with his chest, Karna. What do you think? Um, I mean, I, I still have the Celtics being the favorite. I had them at the beginning of the season. Um, I think most of what I said has bared out as far as depth with the Bucks. That's my only concern. I think they have a really, really good team. I don't think it's 4-1. Um, I would say a game seven is very likely in that scenario. Um, I don't think they're too far off. I think one thing... Let's back up. I think a lot of NBA fans will say, well, you're talking a lot about the Bucs and the Celtics. What about the 76ers? They have the same record as the Bucs. Here's my thing about the 76ers. Who's their third best player on that team? Tobias Harris, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's been playing like it. I know because I have him on my negative fantasy team and he's tanking me because he's actually making shots. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) is that... Does that line up with the Celtics or even the Bucks? I don't think so. And I, I will be interested to see if Tyrese Maxey can extend his incredible offensive performance throughout the whole season. He's still a young guy. I want to see how he does in big moments when he's the number two guy. We'll see. I, I agree with AJ. I think Joel Embiid has a big problem with big games. And he's easily injured as well. So those two factors maybe make me believe that the 76ers, if there's a 1A tier with the Bucks and the Celtics, the 76ers are right behind them in that 1B tier where they don't maybe have the same superstar pieces that the 70, uh, that the Celtics and Bucks have, and they're a little bit more injury prone. Um, so their depth along with the Bucks is an issue to me, but I think clear in a way the Celtics, if I was to put money today, which I'm not a betting guy, I'm going to put my money on the Celtics. I'm going to stick with my pick. Uh, I, I still have questions about the Bucks' um, kind of depth throughout the season. You know that I did put money on the Bucks to win the championship, and there's been moments so far in the season where I was not feeling great about that. But here's why I still believe the Bucks will win the East. They are right there at the top of the standings, and they're not even playing defense yet. And I know this team's perimeter defense took a huge hit losing Drew Holiday, and it wasn't great outside of him to begin with. But I just trust a defense employing Giannis and Brooke Lopez unequivocally in the playoffs. They are going to be hard to score on for anybody. I know Miami took them to task in the playoffs last year. Um, and I don't know if Adrian Griffin is a plus at the coaching position at this point. But I know that any team trying to on one end, stop Giannis and Dame repeatedly, possession after possession, and then having to score on Giannis and Brooke Lopez repeatedly, possession after possession, is going to have a hard time winning a seven-game series. Um, as I said, they're 23rd in defense right now. That's not going to hold, and they're number one in clutch net rating, which is proving my point that this team is the most veteran-laden, and the most built-for-playoff-style basketball. Clutch stats can be a mirage. They, they are not always predictive. But when you see a team that you expect to be good at executing down the stretch, 
actually doing that, it gives me a lot more confidence in them in the playoffs. I want to talk about one other team um, that's right now kind of killing it, and that's the Pacers. I think Mm. they have a really, really interesting offensive chemistry, and they have Tyrese Halliburton, who is an emerging superstar, uh, Miles Turner, who can play really staunch down-low defense. So just so, if I have my – like, keep your eyes on these teams. Am I saying that they're going to win the East? Absolutely not. I don't think they have the superstar talent to win the East. Do I think they can push some of these te- bigger teams or better teams in the seven-game series? Absolutely, I think they can. Um, the Pacers have already beat the Bucks this year, and they've beat a number of, of similarly good teams. Um, granted, yeah, it's early in the season. I get that. But – you know, wins against the Hawks, wins against the 76ers, twice, uh, or sorry, once 76ers, Bucks. I mean, these are good teams that they're beating. So just something to think about. Let's ignore the Celtics game. <laughs> Let's ignore Celtics Pacers. But the, the Pacers have some good wins under their belt. They're figuring it out. A couple more pieces. They could be a good team for a little while. Yeah, I love watching the Pacers. They're like my league pass team for this year. They're fun, but you know, come playoff time, you shut down Halley. You 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 sort of game plan for Halliburton, and that kind of stymies their team. Oh, and, I agree. Yeah, and, and and I don't think like smart teams. I think Miami, Nick Nurse will figure it out. Celtics. I don't know if Adrian Griffin could, but again, I don't think they'll beating the Bucks. But they're they're fun. They could beat this year's Atlanta Hawks. You know, when when they went on a run with Trey Young. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. They're maybe a piece or two away from contending. Uh, they're definitely fun to watch. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you guys, why would uh, I, you, you guys both seem down on Miami, more down on them than I am. I have them as the second best team in the East because I think continuity matters. Uh, the Bucks sort of don't have that too much. You can make an argument that the Celtics are sort of gelling a new team, but the nucleus of the Celtics team has been there for the past seven years. Miami has been running out the same core group of guys for the past few years, and they've seen a ton of success. They still have Spolstra at the helm. What what would you say makes the Bucks or Philadelphia, according to you, better than them? Like, why can Miami be the second or the best team in the East again? That's a great point. And, and notice, I didn't talk about Philly. I do think Miami would beat Philly in a playoff series right now um, because if Embiid is fully healthy and playing at a regular season level in the postseason, yeah, they should probably win that series. But no team seems to have better answers for Embiid than the Heat. And no team seems to consistently rise to the occasion in the playoffs more so than the Heat. Is was an underrated development in this this offseason because they really missed him in the playoffs not having another creator another guy who could get his own shot and so while I did not love some of the depth that they lost um and Struess and Vincent they have enough there and we know they develop guys like crazy like Jaime Hawkins out there looking like a, a classic Miami Heat role player um that yeah I, I would take them as probably the third team in the East in terms of playoff standings. I don't know if they're going to win enough regular season games to get there. The the only thing for me is that they only have two wins against plus 500 teams. Um, So I don't know if they've like proven it. I think, yeah, if you go off past performance, sure. They've done pretty well. 
I mean, they have heat culture or, or whatever. Um, not whatever. It's been insanely successful. But like losses against the Bulls, losses against the Nets. Like these are losses where I'm, you know, it's early in the season. I'm a little confused why they're losing games like that and they're dropping. And they're beating the teams that they're supposed to. But they're also kind of middling and they have a great record right now. I think the where the Heat become dangerous isn't from a seed perspective, right? Like, I don't care what seed the Heat come out as. I think we've all pretty much determined that that doesn't matter. <laughs> when we get into the playoff context, that's when I become, I, I am a Heat fan, or, or I, I think the Heat are able to perform at a higher level than they do in the regular season. So, I mean, if you're asking me, I, I think we're looking at two different questions. Are you, are you asking me if the Heat can beat the 76ers in a playoff series, I think it is a tight series, and I favor the Heat. I think in the regular season, the Heat are almost certainly going to finish behind the 76ers, um, and they will be four, five, or maybe even six, I, I probably four. Um, so in a regular season tiering, yeah, you have the Heat right behind the 76ers. The tiering doesn't matter when you get to the playoffs, I don't think, because <laughs> any given night, those five teams that are sit atop the East can beat each other. I don't think there's one team that's head and, head and shoulders above any other team in that context. I don't think that's a true. I think that's true in the West as well. I think each team has a significant flaw, and I think each team has superstar players. Um, and I think what I think is interesting about the Heat is that their talent is spread out more evenly than any other team in the East. So that will be something to see. It, it, it's really a test case. Do you want to spread out your talent evenly across your five starters? And that's the way that you start building championships from now on, or are you or sustain success? Let's not call it championship because championship is a ridiculous bar and requires not a small amount of luck. Rings. Or yeah, or are you you centralizing your talent in a core of three players, and hopefully your role players are able to show up in big moments? I think it'll be interesting to see that. Well, Carney, you brought up the Western Conference, and let's finish there. And uh, when we're talking contenders and pretenders, we don't include the Memphis Grizzlies because right now they're neither. They're just a basement <laughs> team. And uh, as they hopefully climb back up the standings, they can join this conversation. We also don't talk about the Celtics. We already know they're a contender, and that's why we framed it in terms of are they as big a contender as the Bucks or not. But here's a trio of Western Conference teams that are outperforming expectations and look ready to possibly jump into the contender tier. And I want us to rank them in terms of who's the biggest contender, who is the biggest pretender. So those three teams are the Minnesota Timberwolves, Oklahoma City Thunder, and of course the Grizzlies' next opponent, the Houston Rockets, who have kind of fallen down the standing since we set up this. this, uh, But it's still worth mentioning them. They're still doing better than at least I suspected. So of the Timberwolves, Thunder, and Rockets, AJ, who do you think is the biggest contender? It's Minnesota. It's I have uh, I've, I enjoy watching the Timberwolves play. I'm, I'm a self-professed Go Bear super fan, um, so it's been great for me to watch him come back to his level of being. I, I think he wins his fourth Defensive Player of the Year this year. And uh, not only do I think that they're a contender, I think they're the second best team in the West behind wow. the Denver Nuggets. I think okay. they make the Western Conference Finals and they take Denver to seven. Eventually, the Nuggets will win out and face the Celtics in the finals. That's conversation for another day. But 
I think this Minnesota team is for real. Gobert's finally healthy. He's now anchoring the league's best defense. Um, they have a number one option in Anthony Edwards. Um, and and the, the way they're playing, it can't, it will translate in the playoffs because in the playoffs, you need to play good defense in order to have some modicum of success. And, and they have answers for every team. Um, and they are the team that best matches up to the Nuggets as well. So I, I'll, I'm buying all the stock in Minnesota. Give me Minnesota. This is, this is the year to make a deep playoff run. Garner, do you agree? Are you taking Minnesota as the top I among agree. the trio? I do agree, but I, let me push back on a couple of things. In, in speaking defense of OKC, I think OKC, going back to our conversation that we just have had, is that the talent is spread across more players, right? Chet can score. SGA can score. Giddy's a playmaker. You have a bunch of guys who can score, who can do a, a, a number of different things. Now, Minnesota has that too. You have a lot of really dynamic players, but you also have a guy who's shown, your number two option has shown low effort in big moments, has shrunk in big moments, and has generally a problem working with other people. <laughs> this is Anthony Edwards' teams, and I don't know if Cat can... He's handled it for the first 15 games, but Anthony Edwards has emerged as a super superstar, right? The guy is a dynamic scorer. He makes big plays in big moments. He is the number one option. You know, there's rumors that was Cat was on the trading block. There's rumors every offseason that this is a thing. Look... I think if I'm looking down the road and I'm looking into a deep playoff run, I think there's something to be said about locker room, locker room chemistry and OK seems, OKC seems like a fun team that are really tight-knit, really close, and can weather a storm better than Minnesota. Because we've seen this Minnesota before, right? Like, am I crazy? Like, a Minnesota that performs super well – in the uh, regular season, granted, without a superstar like Anthony Edwards, but has performed super well and then implodes in big moments. Like, I feel like I've seen this from well, the Timberwolves they, organization. They've never, had, they've never had a superstar like Rudy Gobert. No. And, uh, when they, he they have that now. Super fan was, that, was, <laughs> that was something. That was wild. Yeah. it's he's Whenever a healthy Rudy, Rudy Gobert gives you a top 10 defense in the league, he oh, is, I, no, don't, he, don't, I don't disagree. I just think it's crazy to be a super fan of him. <laughs> I, I love Rudy Gobert. It's very <laughs> no, to see what Draymond did to him, but hey, Rudy. Yeah, I, this is a tough look to be. Yeah, that's a tough look. But all, all, all that being said, look, I think there's a clear distinction in this question. And I think this gets us into our next point. The two contenders are OKC and Minnesota. There's Not a even clear close. Yeah. yeah, there's a clear pretender <laughs> on that list. Um, and I can jump into it if you want, King. Yeah, well, I'll just make one point on Minnesota and OKC. Um, Karna, in the past, I've absolutely agreed with you that Minnesota just does not seem to have the mentality to weather a playoff run. However, let's not forget, they did give Denver as competitive a series as they had. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the totality of those five games, they were in, I believe, each and every one of them. And it was just Denver's experience down the stretch, Jokic's individual brilliance that allowed them to win that thing in five. And, but and the X factor is Anthony Edwards in that yeah, case. And that's what, exactly. that's what I mean. It's like they've never had someone like Anthony Edwards, a true number one with the mentality of a number one. 
God, dude, how can, how can you look at the Timberwolves and be like, I'm a super fan of Rudy Gobert when Anthony <laughs> Edwards is on that team? He's doing good things for them. But yeah. on, on, the thun- yeah. on the Thunder side, like, I think that they are going to be a comfortable top six seed the way they're playing. Um, Karn, I think you and I both predicted them to make the playoffs before the season. But similar to the Grizzlies' first run after their breakout season, it's hard for me to see them getting past the second round just because they haven't been there. And just because they're going to be relying on a lot of young guys to create their own shot in the playoffs, and it looks different there. Just ask the Grizzlies. It's It's been a problem two years in a row. Yep. No, now, I think that's I think it makes sense. Finish up this podcast by roasting the Rockets, please, and thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, okay, I'm not going to roast them. Like, I think they are a team that's rebuilding. They have good veterans. Um, well, they have one good veteran. <laughs> they have a, another questionable veteran in Dylan Brooks. Look, my, my point is they are like the Pacers to me. I mean, obviously the Pacers are more developed and they have Tyrese Halliburton, who is a superstar or in, the, in the making. You want one of these young guys to grab the reins of that team and say, look, I'm the guy. None of them have done that yet. And until one of them does that, I have no faith that the Rockets are going to be contenders. Jalen Green for, doesn't look like that guy. Jabari Smith Jr. still has time to grow. Alperin Sengun, I don't trust his offensive bag to do that. Fred Van Vliet obviously can't do that. So it's like you're there's no one really in that starting lineup Dylan that Brooks. says no. <laughs> uh, as much as he'd like to think he's LeBron, he is not. Um, but yeah, so th- that's my point of the Rockets. They need a young guy that they can firmly build around that gives them a direct vision. The Spurs are in a better place for me as a franchise because they have a vision going forward. It's Victor. Right now we're spread out. We're waiting on the leadership. We're waiting on some somebody to take the reins in the Rockets organization. And no one has done that. And until they do, they do not have a direct vision and direct path forward because you build chemistry through the draft and they're not able to build chemistry if you don't know what you're building for or towards. And that's where the Rockets are. They're not real contenders. AJ, clearly you agreed that the Thunder and the Timberwolves are above the Rockets, but do you see the Rockets as a playoff team? I mean, I can see them making the play-in, um, you know, in, in the 7 through 10 range. The, the, the West has a ton of really good teams. I mean, we haven't talked about the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Dallas. Um, there's, there's a ton of good teams over there. It's, it's Phoenix. It's, it's a crowded field. I do think the Rockets will make the play-in. I'm not sure if they can make the actual playoffs and uh, win the series. I think it's it's a year too early for them. Ime will need more time to sort of work his magic. But I do trust him as a coach, and I think he will eventually get them. And I think they make the playoffs next year. But I agree Karna's point. There's no one guy on the team who, who can lead them yet. And I, I think that guy's going to be Shangun, But... Mm. It's he's he's not there yet. Um, he he's he's their version of Jokic. I think they'll eventually start playing through him a little bit more. But you know you have guys on the team like Brooks and who who need to know that this is not their team. Um, and I think as a team they're not at that stage. But I'm looking forward to the game today, and I would love to know your guys' take on who wins. I have given up predicting Grizzlies wins. I think this is a very winnable game, but when you look at all the guys who are out, and we're not even talking about John Morant, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark at this point, we're also adding Marcus Smart, Luke Kennard, Xavier Tillman, 
Jake Laravia to this list as well. Um, I saw Keith Parrish at Fast Break Breakfast said they have about $100 million of salary injured or suspended and unable to play. So um, to be honest, I think the Rockets will probably win the game. Um, if the Grizzlies do win, this is uh, hopefully a building block because they need to start regularly taking care of business against mediocre to bad teams. I would go opposite. I think the Grizzlies win. I think Desmond Bain has a good good game. And I think Jaron Jackson Jr. also is able to take advantage of his athleticism over Alperin Sengun and also have a good game. But I also predicted that the Grizzlies would be good this year. That hasn't been true. We've dropped a lot of winnable games, so who am I to say? We're sad over here, man. Well, guys, on that note, I think that's it for Hoops Royalty. We're bringing you Royal Hoops takes on the Memphis Grizzlies and NBA Please like and subscribe on YouTube. Please bring those five-star reviews and nice comments wherever you listen to this podcast. And go out and follow AJ on social media as well. He is spitting out fire takes, and they have he backs them up too, as you saw on this podcast. AJ, it was great to have you. But for Karna and AJ, I'm King Jemison. Thank you all so much for listening, and go Grizz. Um.